I want to reiterate what uh, Kevin Seeger said earlier about the insert that the ladies have done. Uh, such good um, insights and information in that about upcoming events over the holiday season. Uh, take that home and keep it in a handy place, maybe up on your refrigerator or in your office. And I do want to call attention to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Uh, Pitts has always been a strong church in giving both to Annie Armstrong for North American missions and Lottie Moon for uh, international missions. And every single dollar you give goes directly to the missionaries. None of it stays here. And so we've got more than 4,000 missionaries on foreign soil, some who are connected with our church here, family members of church members in very dangerous places in the world. And uh, sometimes you've asked why we don't publicize their names and their place of service more. It's because we're not supposed to. Uh, the International Mission Board uh, wants us to be very careful about postings and even about social media announcements connected to them uh, because of the way um, their very lives could be threatened. And so again, when uh, you give to Lottie Moon, it gives to people just like that connected to our church. Our goal is 70,000 uh, this year. Last year we gave about 82,000. So again, thank you for your generosity. But uh, you'll notice the collection date on that. Uh, the March for Missions will be December the 8th in the morning service. So between now and then, if you would be praying about your part uh, in that. Pray for our missionaries and also give that uh, they will be able to stay on the fields of service to where God has uh, called them. These, these mission gifts are imperative. A lot of our cooperative program gifts go to administration things at the International Mission Board uh, and the North American Mission Board, but it's the mission gifts, the special mission gifts around Christmas and Easter that supports our missionaries. So give and give generously. Find Luke chapter 17 in your copy of the scripture. Luke chapter 17. I want to talk this morning about a grateful faith. Luke, uh, Luke 17 beginning in verse 11. And when you find your place in your copy of God's word. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word please. Luke chapter 17. And beginning in verse 11. Scripture says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, we thank you for the touching encounters that we read about in the scripture that Jesus had with people who were suffering in life. And they were down and out and they had no hope and no one to help them. And God, you helped them and you touched them. And you made them well and you forgave them of their sin. Lord, for anybody who is in Christ, you've done that for us. The leprosy of sin that we all have, you've healed us, you've forgiven us, you've cleansed us. Every single one of us has reason to give thanks. Lord, I pray that you would not be surprised by the few that give thanks. But I pray that you would be blessed by the multitude that does. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a totally lousy day? I read about a man sitting at a bar looking at his drink. He stayed like that for about a half hour. Then a Big, burly, muscular truck driver walked in, stepped up next to him, grabbed the drink from him, and gulped it down in one swallow and slammed the mug down on the bar. Well, at that, the man burst into tears. The truck driver said, come on, man, I was just joking. Here, I'll buy you another drink. Don't be so upset. And the guy said, no, sir, it's not that at all. He said, you see, you don't understand. Today has been the worst day of my life. First, I overslept and I was late to an important meeting. And so my boss fired me. When I left the office, I discovered my car had been stolen and the police said they would take a report, but there was very little that they could do. I took a cab home and as he drove off, I realized that I'd left my wallet in the back seat of the taxi. I thought it couldn't get any worse. But when I walked into my house, I found my wife in the arms of another man. And so I've come to the bar and on the way, I stopped by the farm supply store and bought a bunch of poison that I poured into my glass and I was sitting here debating whether I was going to drink it and you even took that away from me. Life can be hard sometimes. But folks, what's our attitude as we go through life? Is it one of gratitude? Is it one of appreciation? Is it one of thanksgiving? If gratitude were not important, then we wouldn't teach our children to say thank you. 
You know what I've been noticing over the recent months and years, and it seems like it's more predominant today than not. You go into a restaurant, you go into a store, and you're up at the counter, and you're buying whatever you're buying, and the clerk doesn't even talk to you. He or she takes your money, gives you your change, or if you're paying with the card, gives you a receipt. Never says a single word to you. And I find myself, just to break the clumsy silence, I say, thank you. And have a good day. And then I walk away thinking, why did I say thank you? What about our faith? Do we have a grateful faith? Do we express gratitude to God? I want you to remember last week's sermon on Psalm 103 about counting your blessings and not forgetting any of the benefits that God has done for you. I hope this week you've thought about that a little bit and maybe even wrote some of those things down. If anybody deserves our gratitude, surely it's God. Now we see here in our text today that a heart of gratitude is the right response to God's grace. A heart of gratitude is the right response to God's grace. In fact, did you realize in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that a lack of gratitude is also a sign of the rejection of God's Word. And indicative of those who are under the wrath of God because they've rejected God's word and his promise of salvation. And he says ingratitude is one of the fruits of that that shows lack of faith. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul is warning Timothy about what it's going to be like in the last days before Jesus comes back. Again he says the times will be characterized by ingratitude. So we're not talking about something this morning that is just of a secondary importance. Ingratitude may say far more about someone spiritually than they realize. Folks, I want you to think about that. Maybe if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, maybe you need to hear that, what the New Testament says that ingratitude shows. So again, it's not a secondary issue. Now as we pick up the story, we see that Luke is giving us a geographical marker that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Every since the end of Luke chapter 9, Luke has been pointing out that in spite of everything that Jesus knows is going to happen to him when he gets into Jerusalem, that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be put on trial and rejected, and finally he's going to be crucified. In spite of all of that, he sets his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. Luke never lets us forget 
that Jesus knows he's living with that sense of mission and purpose to die for our sins. It reminds us that amidst all of the miracles that the Lord Jesus did, the greatest miracle of all is what he was going to do on the cross to bear our sin debt. Now the first thing I want you to see with me today is human suffering. Human suffering. Look again at verses 11 to 13. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Certainly a picture of human suffering. Jesus meets these men in sort of a no man's land between, between Jerusalem and Samaria. It was, it was an area that was sort of out of the way, sort of a border country. And Jews were very careful that they didn't travel into that region of Samaria. And when he's in this border area, sort of a neutral zone, notice what he finds. He finds all of these lepers and they are both Jewish and there's a Samaritan. Folks, having leprosy meant that you had to live in isolation away from the public and far out of busy places. Still in our world today, there are about 200,000 cases of leprosy that are, that are diagnosed every year in about 14 different countries, mainly in the country of India. There's about 150 cases in America that are diagnosed every year. Now, in addition to human beings having the disease and carrying the disease, surprisingly, it's been discovered that armadillos carry the disease. Probably not many of you have a pet armadillo at home. Sometimes people would have their fingers and toes nibbled off when they slept at night. They would be eaten off by rodents because you see in leprosy what begins to happen, all the nerves begin to die. A lot of the maiming and the injuries and, and the missing digits that happens, it's not because it's just rotting off, but it's because of injuries. And as I say, in, in remote parts of the world, it's even known that rodents eat off certain parts of the body while the uh, person sleeps at night. Now today, it's totally curable. But in ancient times, it was a horrible disease. Centuries before, obviously, television ever came out, it was sort of a disease of the walking dead. That's how you were. 
Once men or women were diagnosed with leprosy, they would have to leave their home, leave their family, leave their job, leave their village, and they would have to go outside of town where they would never encounter anybody. And they would have to keep themselves disheveled looking. And any time someone came near to them, they would have to cry out, Leper, leper. In Leviticus 13, the Bible says, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, Unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Folks, imagine living a life like that. Isolation, loneliness. It was a miserable existence, a lonely existence. And here we see Jews and Samaritans dwelling together. That ought to say something to us too. Groups that normally would not even associate and here they are together. Misery loves company. They would have just had one another. They stand at a distance here precisely as the Old Testament law prescribed and they cry out in a loud voice to Jesus. I want you to see some things that I notice here in the text. First of all, common need drives a person to God. These lepers had heard of Jesus and they must have seen him as their only means of hope. And so they cry out to him using words that are elsewhere only used of the disciples. Master, Lord, have pity on us. There's the recognition here that Jesus is able to help them. If anybody can help them, surely Christ can. And so they go to the right place for help. Folks, have you learned to do what these lepers did? Thank God for whatever it is that God uses in a person's life that brings that person to Christ. In the big picture of things, thank God for whatever it is that draws somebody to Christ. Even if it's misery, even if it's illness and suffering. A second principle I want you to see, and we've been talking about this lately in the series, Why Evil? God allows suffering to invite us to seek Him. Suffering often drives us to God. That's a good thing. That's one of the purposes of God allowing bad things, using those bad things as a wake-up call. Now, that's not the only thing, but that's one of the reasons. And that's exactly what these lepers did. They were looking for mercy. They were looking for love. They were looking for acceptance and compassion, somebody to care and understand. Even more than that, though, they were looking for healing. They wanted to be made whole again. A third principle here, there's a common condition to all of us. We have a spiritual leprosy. 
Sometimes in the Bible, Old Testament in particular, leprosy is sort of an analogy or illustration of, of that deadly disease that we all have inside of us called sin. The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And, and it's a death diagnosis. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death. That's the condition of, of everybody outside of Christ. They're separated from God. They're lonely. They don't have peace with God. And if they die in that condition, they will be shoveled out into a Christless eternity. Only Jesus can fix your spiritual leprosy. He's the only one that can deal with the sin in your life. And I hope you've been awakened to that fact and you've come to him and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Second thing I want you to see this morning is divine invitation. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus calls us to have faith. Jesus could have reached forward that day, touched them, and healed them on the spot as he had done with others. But he didn't. He directed them to do what the law prescribed, that they would go to the priest, show themselves to the priest that they had been cleansed one of the things that the priest had to do was sort of act as a health inspector in these cases and be able to pronounce somebody cleansed from their disease so they could go back into everyday society and so Jesus is telling them to go and make their way to the priest get started on their journey they would have known what he was talking about because again to have leprosy and go to the priest meant that, that you were healed. And you were going to show yourself to him so he could give you that okay to get back into society. And so they would have understood that. They would have understood what's going on here. It's an invitation to believe, to trust, to take Christ at his word. They had nothing else to go on at this point but the word of Christ. Folks, we are to take the Lord at his word. You remember Naaman in the Old Testament? Naaman is a character in 2 Kings chapter 5. He was the commander of the Syrian forces... And through him, God had given great success to the Syrians in warfare. But he had a dark spot on his life. It was called leprosy. And there was a little slave girl in, 
his house that had been captured in war. And she said, if my master would only go down to Israel, there's a prophet there and he could, he could cure him of his leprosy. And hey, that was good news. So what's Naaman do? He gets his entourage and they travel down and they're standing outside of Elisha's house and Elisha doesn't even go out. He sends somebody out and says, hey, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleansed. Naaman is mad as a hornet. Man, I thought Elisha was going to come out and he was going to do some kind of act. You know, he's going to go through some kind of religious motion or whatever and zap me. And I was gonna, it was going to be some great fanfare, something I was going to say. He doesn't even come out of his house to talk to me. He was insulted and walked away. And his servant said, Master, what he's told you to do is easy. He hadn't told you to do something difficult. Go and do it. Naaman did. He went and dipped four times, five times, still a leper. Six times, still a leper. Seven times, as Elisha had said. And he comes up clean. But you see, he had, he had to take Elisha at his word, finally. Folks, this is a great story here about faith and obeying God, taking God at His word, taking Christ at His word, even when you don't see the outcome yet. You believe Him because you know who He is. You can trust His word because you know who He is. He cannot lie. Psalm 103, again, we looked at it last week, says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame, he knows that we are but dust. With all of our needs, we need to go to the Lord. And as we go to the Lord, we need to take him at his word. When it comes to salvation... What do you need to do? You need to take him at his word. Because what's the scripture say? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. The scripture says if you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, you shall be saved. Have you repented of your sin, put your faith in Jesus, and taken Him at His word? How about in your everyday life? Do you get into the word of God and read it and take God at His word? Do you live by faith? Romans 1.17 says the just are to live by faith. It's not just the moment we trust Christ. Hopefully it, that means at some point in the past for you. But every day in your life now, you're to be in the Word and you're to take God at His Word and live by faith. Even in those things, you don't see the outcome yet. Do you have faith? To believe that this is what the Lord would have you to do. 
If he says it in his word, you don't, you don't lean on your own understanding. You acknowledge him in all of his ways. You do what he says, believing that God is going to direct your steps. That's faith. That's how he calls upon us to live. I want you to think about that this holiday season. Let's say you're in, in, in regards to a different matter. Let's say you're given the chance to help somebody. Do so even if you don't see the immediate results. Know that that's what God has commanded His people to do. It pleases the Lord. The Lord sees. The Old Testament even talks about God keeping books. It's not talking there about salvation being a result of works. The Bible doesn't teach that. But we know that one day on Judgment Day, everybody, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account of what we've done, whether good or bad. My point is, take God at His word. Helping people. This is a great time of year to do that. Knowing You may never receive a reward right now. In fact, don't even do it for that. Scripture says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Just do it. Knowing your reward comes from the Lord one day. Do you believe God? Take God at His word. These lepers here had to take God at his word in order to be healed. Now, thirdly, I want you to see the lesson learned and lesson spurned. We see both. Look at beginning in verse 15. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's an implicit message here in these verses that grace demands gratitude. And let's see how that plays out here. Cleansing calls for a heart of gratitude. The cure immediately awakens a a cord of thanksgiving in one of the ten. In fact, apparently he didn't even wait until he had been to the priest. Now that's amazing if you think about it. Here's a man who's been a social outcast. He's not been able to be a part of society. He's not been able to kiss his wife or hug his children. What would you expect him to do? Get his ticket back into society and then go see everybody that he's been missing out on. That's what everybody would have expected. And that's what most people would do. But as a matter of first importance, he turns back and he takes time to give thanks. Have you ever noticed how gratitude takes a little bit of time, doesn't it? Takes a little bit of time. Takes a little effort. You might even have to go out of your way a little bit. And that's exactly what he did. And verse 16 gives us the surprise. 
Verse 16 says, and he was a Samaritan. That's the real shocker in the story. He would have been considered the least likely of all to go back to Jesus, a Jew, and give him thanks. So what could we say about him? Lesson learned. I want you to see next the grief of ingratitude. In a series of questions beginning in verse 17, Jesus expresses disappointment in the nine. They were Jews. They were the covenant people of God. They had received so much. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 9. I want you to see something in Romans chapter 9. Paul is commenting there on the Jewish people and why they had every single reason to be the ones to set the example. Romans chapter 9 beginning in verse 4. He says the people of Israel theirs is the adoption the adoption to uh, sonship, theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the ancestry of the Messiah, who is God forevermore uh, praised, uh, forever praised. Amen. You see what Paul is saying there? If anybody, if anybody, should have reason to come to faith in Christ and believe Him and to live lives of faith and gratitude, it it should be the Jews who have so much. Most of your Bible is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And what's in the Old Testament? God calling a people to be His own and working through them, His covenant people. And through them would come the Messiah where God's blessings would be extended to the world. So much is given to the Jews. Maybe these nine in the story made the mistake of thinking they deserved this act of mercy. They were cleansed. They were healed. Maybe they were expecting it. They all had the same motivation to go back and give thanks. But apparently the nine are only absorbed in the blessing itself. They take what they can from the hand of Jesus without ever turning aside to take the time to express gratitude to Him. It's the attitude, Lord, I want your blessings in my life. I'm just not that concerned about you. What could we say about them? Lesson spurned. Folks, that can happen. We can get so caught up in our blessings themselves that we fail to see the giver of the blessings. And tragically in the world today, that's how people are living their lives. They're just enjoying their blessings, their abundance. And you know what? There's there's arrogance in that. 
We, we look around the world and we see all the hardship and suffering in the world. And maybe to some people deep down inside, we assume that we're not supposed to have it bad like that. Some people have that attitude. that They're above that. It's not something we'd ever vocalize, but, but it might be a thought deep down inside of us. We think about poor people. We think about cultures where people have absolutely nothing, nothing at all. We think about people going through horrible things. And, and you know what? We might be inclined to think that's them. Things like that would never happen to us. We're above that. We're better than that. And I'm not suggesting that some people don't have hardship because of their actions. They do, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the attitude that we can have that all this bad out in the world, somehow or another, we're supposed to be insulated from all that and separated from it. It happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. We might credit ourselves. We might credit our accomplishments, our position in life, our wealth, our nation. We credit somebody on the human side of the equation. The human side of the equation. And what we fail to see is the grace of God. Folks, you know what? God must be surprised by our lack of gratitude at times. Ungratefulness not only grieves the heart of God, but as I said a moment ago, it goes deeper than that. I mentioned Romans 1 at the beginning of the message. In Romans 1, Paul says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as as God or give thanks. Somebody told me one time, I've purposely never seen the show before. The old show, I don't even know if it's still on, The Simpsons. They were at a table one time with a big spread. And uh, Bart Simpson was called on to have the blessing. And in this particular episode, he said, Dear God... We paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. A dumb TV show, but folks, it's what's in too many people's hearts. There are so many people that are blind to God and they're blind to the gifts of God and they're blind to the fact of where they would be without God and without His blessings. Gratitude reveals a redeemed life. Jesus is disappointed over the nine, but He's thrilled over the one. He commends His faith. Notice what He says here. Your faith has made you well. The Greek is interesting here. Almost every one of the prominent scholars in the world today on the Gospel of Luke 
If I named their names, it wouldn't, the names wouldn't mean anything to you, but men like I.H. Marshall and Joseph Fitzmeyer and all the key Lucan scholars talk about the wording that Jesus uses here, your faith has made you well, literally means your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Speaking of a a different kind of, of healing. That's what's going on here. It wasn't enough to simply get the blessing. He wanted the relationship with the one giving the blessing. And, and the words that Jesus uses here shows that the nine had had a miracle performed on them. But nothing in their hearts had changed. But something deeper, something more profound has happened in the heart of the one. Folks, that's what God's blessings are intended to do. Do we realize that? God's blessings are not simply so you will be blessed or I will be blessed. God's blessings are so that you and I will acknowledge God and come to know Him and live lives of gratitude. The lost man takes all the blessings of God and doesn't give God a second nod. But the saved man knows where his redemption comes from. He knows how hopeless he was. He realizes the miracle of the new life. He recognizes that the only appropriate response to grace is gratitude. I've said recently in messages... That hardship and suffering is designed to drive us to our knees and look up to God. But do you realize in the Bible the same can be said about blessings. Blessings are designed to cause us to stop and think that it's not us. It's God. God did this. I want you to give some thought to that this week. Here we are, we live in a fallen world. And given the fact that just about everything in the world is on a downward trajectory, if there is good in your life, it must be because somebody is looking out for you. You're blessed. What's James 1.17 say? James 1.17 says... Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. So we live in this dark world, tainted by sin, a corrupt world that's groaning and crying out for the the day of the redemption of the sons of God, Romans 8. We see all this bad going on around and yet we see good in our lives. I hope as you look at that good this week, you see God. He's the source of it. All good and perfect gifts come down from above. You say, but didn't I earn some of it? I got an education, I got a job, I work hard. 
Who gave you a good mind? Who gave you a good body? Who gave you a job? Who gave you all those things that enabled you to go out and get what you have in life? Folks, it all goes back to God one way or the other. Are we going to be like the nine who just take the blessing and enjoy it and just get back to life as normal? Or are we going to be like the one who returns to give thanks? I want to close by reading to you a couple of passages out of the book of Revelation. John gives some awesome passages about life in heaven. Some great worship passages. There's one in Revelation chapter 4 and it begins in verse 4. It says, around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there, there was as it were a of glass like crystal and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and fill in the blank thanks thanks to him who seated on the throne the 24 elders fall down before him and worship him the one who lives forever and ever And then over in Revelation 7. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and, here it is again, thanksgiving. And honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Folks, think of that. The heavenly host in heaven praising God before His throne and what are they doing? They're giving thanks to the one seated upon the throne. I would suggest that even now in our lives, we need to live a little bit more like those in heaven. Do you have a grateful faith? Or are you like the majority? The majority in the world who take all the good gifts from God and you just go on about your life. And you live your life. And you enjoy everything you have. 
and God just gets a little passing nod in your life. Are you like that? Or are you like the one? What difference have God's blessings made in you? How have they changed you? Hopefully because of the blessings God's given to you, you in turn not only offer praise and thanksgiving to Him, but you offer grace and blessings to those around you. Have you taken time lately to acknowledge what God's done in your life? Are you like the nine? Where Jesus said, where are they? Where are they? Or are you like the one who was a Samaritan? Father, help us to be like the Samaritan in this case. He's a surprising character in this storyline. He would not be the one expected to do what he did, and yet he did. And those who had enjoyed even more of the blessings of God in their lives, in their nation... They just went on about life. Lord, I think about how blessed we are as a nation and how most people just go on about life. We've got nice homes, bigger and better than ever from what we read about. Bigger and better homes than ever. Nicer cars than ever. Better incomes than ever. More of everything. And yet most of the people we meet don't take the time to give thanks to God. Lord, let it sink in this week that truly every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Lord, it's easy to say in church at Thanksgiving. But Lord, I pray that it's an attitude that would saturate our very lives 365 days a year. May we give you praise. May we give you thanks for healing us of our spiritual leprosy and saving us from an eternity separated from God. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.